um, salvation in Christ today. But before I jump into the passage, I want to read this quick devotion, and I'll pray for our time. You just want to listen for a little bit. It's not too long. The gospel serves as the means by which God daily constructs me into what he wants me to be and also serves as the channel through which he gives me my inheritance every day of my Christian life. Hence, it could be said that the gospel contains all that I need for life and for godliness. It is for this reason that God tells me to be steadfastly entrenched in the gospel at all times and never to allow myself to be moved from there. The mere fact that God tells me to stay inside the gospel at all times must mean that he intends to supply all of my needs as long as I'm abiding in that place of luxury. Bow your heads with me. And Father, so it is. In the next couple of minutes, we want to be entrenched and the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Lord, so often we are prone to wander. We are prone to consider things of this world, things that our flesh cries out for. Father, I just ask right now that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would come to help us see the good news that although we are sinners, Christ died for us. God, may we never move away from that beautiful message. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine one day a doctor looks at you and says, the test results came back and unfortunately you have cancer. Imagine one day getting a phone call saying that your son or daughter had been involved in a car accident. Imagine hearing one day that the person you love the most is in dire need of help and assistance. Bad news will come in your life. Sometimes that bad news results in exactly what you imagined. Um, Not too long ago, I remember um, a situation in my life where... I was thinking about something that could potentially happen. I could kind of see something happening, traversing, and I was like, man, this, this could be bad. And I remember talking to my wife about it. I'm like, this could potentially be pretty bad. And um, I think she said something along the lines of like, you know, it might be, but it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it is. And then it happened. And it was worse than I thought it was. Let me, just, let me tell you something. Bad news is the result of living in a world filled with sin. So we are in this series talking about what is the gospel. And every week I've been saying that there is this temptation for us to misunderstand what the gospel actually is. And by way of reminder, since we've been two weeks away from this message, um, it's not uncommon to hear an answer along the lines of when you ask somebody what is the gospel, to hear someone say, well, well, the gospel is just that, that God loves me. And then he has a plan for my life. Or, 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 or the gospel is that 
if we just believe and receive, we'll have eternal life. Well, the gospel is that God has inaugurated his kingdom and he's called and commissioned us to go into the world to be salt and light and to push back the forces of darkness. The gospel and X, Y, Z, you know, and, and, and more or less, and sometimes you get a really laser-focused sin view of the gospel or a 30,000, you know, viewpoint of the gospel. But the problem is, is that no one in the, those answers actually explains what the gospel actually is. And so a couple of weeks ago, we, we just laid it out. We said, ultimately, the gospel is good news that God, who created all things and created us and has creator rights over us, gave us a commission to go into the world, but instead of living for his glory, we chose, and the human race, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. And so we talked about sin not just being the bad things we do, but really it's ingrained in us. It is in our nature that every single thing, my actions, my emotions, my, my deeds, are stained with this desire that I would make myself the Lord of my life. And this is bad news because since God is the creator, since he is holy, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but he will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. And so ultimately the bad news is this, that since we have sinned, since we are sinners, since we have transgressed the perfect law of God, every single one of us is damned. We will suffer eternal conscious punishment in what the Bible calls hell. The Bible makes hell out to be a very, very bad place. And that's kind of where we left off two weeks ago. That God has created rights over us. We have rebelled against those. We've gone astray. We have done our own thing. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, God will punish the evildoer. And the issue in our hearts is that, that we typically, we're like, Can I, you know, I'm just a high school student. I'm just trying to live my life, trying to do the best I can. It's that we don't actually feel as bad as we actually are. That's what's so tricky about sin, is we don't actually think we're that bad. But the Bible gives you another story. It says you are that bad, and one day you will stand before this God and give an account Jesus Christ will come and he will judge the living and the dead. And so on that day, when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, we looked at Revelation 4, and it said that people were literally trying to throw big rocks over on top of them in order that they would not be able to look at Christ and his holiness. The day of judgment will be such a terror, will be so awesome in the proper use of the word, that we we want to literally feel like the earth would come on top of us instead of looking at Christ. That is how serious our sin is. But, but, is maybe the best word in the entire Bible. Right? Imagine like the stark contrast of you are going to perish. You are going to go to hell unless you return. You are going to suffer this consequence. But, so let's rewind our illustration. You get a phone call. Mr. Garnest, your daughter has been in a horrible accident. But, 
she's okay. The test results came back. You have cancer, but it's very treatable, and you're going to be fine. But makes all the difference in the world. It changes the bad news into something that's actually good news, right? And that's exactly what we find in the Bible. That yes, there is bad news. Yes, there is discomfort. Yes, you will suffer the consequences of your sin. But God did something about it. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Now, I hope that when we read this passage, if you ever come to Romans 3 again, you will never see that one small little word ever the same again. Paul, in Romans 3, is talking about how all men have fallen short of God's glory. They will suffer his fury and his wrath. But now he has good news. Let's read it. Romans 3, verse 21. But now. The righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And there's a lot in this passage, and unfortunately we're not going to dive into this passage, but there's a few key things here. One, the good news of how we can be saved from the penalty of our sins comes in the form of a substitution. That is the good news of the Bible. That is the good news. That because of what Jesus has done and because of what we have done, for those who put faith in Jesus, we get this double exchange. We, we get the great exchange. And so let me just explain for a few minutes of what Jesus has done. Now, now, we're going to get Christmas here for a second, but if, if any of you have like read the, kind of the beginning parts of the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, what do they usually begin with? I already gave you a hint a little bit. There's a genealogy that quickly leads into a story about, you know, these people who are living ordinary lives, but then very unusual things happened. So in Luke, you read about this guy named Zechariah, and his wife couldn't get pregnant, but she gets pregnant. And then we learn about another family member of his who gets pregnant. So you're reading about John the Baptist. But really, the big story is all about this little, little in that she's 13, so it's still kind of little in my mind, 13, 14. She gets pregnant, but here's the big thing. She's never had sex. She's a virgin. And it's kind of like, what? If you're going to start a religion, you're going to you know, start right here off of the virgin birth. But here's why that's so important. Here's why it's in the Gospels. Because like I've said, every single one of us, we have sinned on our choices by the bad things we've just decided to do. But every single person in this room is affected by our first father, Adam. Adam, through his seed, through the rest of humanity, has ingrained in, in, in all of us, in our nature, sin. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
And so right off the bat, we are kind of being poised up for a Savior who was actually able to live under the law. Now, we, we read here in Romans 3, you know, he says here in verse 21, apart from the law. Now, we just read it, we just sang that song, and I picked that song for a reason, you know. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him we stand. Now, all of your Old Testament, there's a lot of, you know, stories, and there's a lot of history of the nation of Israel, but really important, the story of Exodus, God gives his people a special law, okay? Now, part of that law was to show God's character. We see who God is by how he gives out the laws and what they reflect about him. But ultimately, let me tell you the, the true purpose of the law. Ready for it? It was to expose and to show their need for a savior. Because let me tell you what happens when you give someone a law. You ready for it? If I say to my interns, hey, Tyler, Keegan, Abby, this summer, you are not allowed to chew gum at all. Not allowed to chew gum. That's the law in this church. No, are you chewing gum right now? Are you chewing gum? Wow, wow that's, that's funny. I saw you chewing gum, but I didn't see you chewing gum. Okay. Okay, so they, they might say like, all right, I don't like gum that much anyway. It's fine. I'm not going to do it, right? Or maybe they're like, oh, my gosh, I love gum. This is going to be so hard, okay? But because they respect me, because they, they want to do the right thing, they say to themselves, I'm not going to chew gum. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, okay? Now, one day, maybe a month goes by, six months goes by, and someone just randomly offers, hey, you want a piece of gum? Without even thinking about it, oh, yeah, for sure. They get the gum, they start chewing it, and maybe like a minute in, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not allowed to chew gum, and I just did it, right? Or maybe they say, like, what a silly and dumb rule. That makes no sense. Why can't I do that? You know what? What Aaron don't know, don't hurt him. And they chew gum anyways, okay? Ultimately, when I give them that law, when I give them that rule, it's just a matter of time, pretty much, before they break it, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And what God's law did to the Old Testament Israelites is it showed them that on their own, they can never do enough things to please God. Matter of fact, when you give someone a law, it almost, because they are sinners, because you're a sinner, it always makes them want to do it. Hey, don't go over in the Gaga pulpit after youth group. Why? Because I said so. If I said, there's going to be one person out there, I'm sure, by the end of youth group who's in there, right? No pointing fingers, point at yourself, right? There's a sense in which when we give out a law, it really shows us that on our own, we can't keep it. And so ultimately, what the Bible is trying to show us is that because we are unable to fill the law, Jesus, in the virgin birth, is a person now who is able to break the power of sin. And then just because he wasn't born with a sinful nature doesn't mean that he wasn't ever tempted with sin. And so the rest of his life, about 30 years, you see him right before he jumps off into his big public ministry, a really special thing happens. He goes into the wilderness to pray and to fast, and what happens? He's tempted by Satan. And Satan kind of gives him three little tests, you know, bow down to me, make these, you know, rocks turn into bread, you know, da-da-da-da, and Jesus 
What does he do? Quotes scripture. And after that, Jesus launches into this public ministry where he's healing the blind. He's raising little girls from the dead. He's telling the storms to stop. He's walking on water. He takes a few little loaves of bread and fish and he makes them into a lot of breads and fish. And he's going into the religious center in Jerusalem and he's talking to these guys and he's saying, you guys are dead. You mean nothing. You guys are all just about the show, but your hearts are far from God. He's just stirring the pot all the while, sinless. And ultimately, Jesus' mission was this, to come to earth, to fulfill every law, which he did, and then therefore, one day, die. To die on the cross. And really quick, do me a favor. We're going to keep it with Pauline here. Flip over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, we see here what exactly Jesus was doing on the cross and why is this good news, okay? Galatians chapter 3. So we're kind of talking still a little bit about this, this idea of law, and because we break the law, we're under a curse. None of us can hold the law. The Israelites showed us that. They were horrible at keeping the law. It was literally like God gave the law, give it about 30 seconds, and they broke the law. Okay? Now let me tell you something. That's a picture of our own hearts. And so what we see here is, is, is Paul trying to explain what is so significant about Jesus having to come die on a cross. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now here it is. The bread and butter right here, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here is what the good news of the Bible is that although we are sinners, Christ became the curse for us. He took the full wrath of God that was rightfully meant for you. While on the cross, Jesus did not just suffer physically, but he was separated in his human existence from God. Now what's interesting about Jesus is that although if he drank coffee, he had coffee breath, and although if he stayed up late, he'd be tired the next day. And, and although if he kicked a rock really hard, he'd have a bruised toe, he was also at the very same time God. He was God. It's, it's fascinating to think. Sometimes we, we think of Jesus, we think like some heavenly creature and, you know, things flowing from his, you know, wings or something. I don't know what you think of, you think of Jesus. But, but really, he was a man. He would get dirt under his fingernails. He would have stomach problems if he ate something bad. 
He was in every single way a man. At the very same time, God. And ultimately, he is poised to be the only person who can take care of this problem of justifying the wrath of God, but also being someone who's able to be a good enough sacrifice. That in his humanity, he never once sinned. He completed the whole law. And even though we deserve the curse, he went to the cross and he took it. And so ultimately, the only way to get out of the predicament that we have, the only way to not be the curse, which Paul says, anyone who does not fulfill the law is under a curse, the only way to be made right with God is to trust in Christ. It's the good news. It's so simple, but yet so complex because ultimately, we don't really want to rest or to trust or to believe and what Jesus has done, we want to trust and rest and believe what we have done. Now, this, this is a simple gospel of salvation. That Jesus, he took our sin. That, that if we put our faith in him, here's what happens. Literally, our sin gets put on Jesus, and his perfect righteousness gets accredited to us. And what I want to talk about for just a couple more minutes is how does that happen? How does that happen? Happen. Now, Paul has mentioned a few times here in Romans 3 and Galatians 3 of receiving by faith. But let me give you an illustration here. We've been doing swim lessons with our kids in the month of June at the YMCA. And um, the three older girls are kind of just, they just kind of sit on the edge of the pool with their teachers. But Millie, uh, our youngest, is, you know, a baby and she'll drown if you don't hold her at all times, right? Um, so I'm in the pool with her, and man, I'm taking one for the team, right? The wheels on the bus go round and round, you know? <laughs> like with all these moms singing these little kid songs, and it's like, oh my gosh, okay. All right, I love my kid, though, okay? Now, now my daughter, she has a healthy fear of water, okay? Um, and kind of like getting her to lay on her back, she's like, you know, no, and fights against it and all this stuff, and kind of scared to get in without me. Now... Um, I put her up on her feet on the side of the pool. The pool's like three feet. And I'm like, Millie, jump. And she's like, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So she sits down, and she kind of like barely get in the water, okay? So I put her back up. I'm like, no, jump. She's like, no, no, no. No, no, daddy. No, daddy. No, daddy. Sits back down, okay? And I'm like, okay, Millie, it's fine, okay? I'm right here. I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you. You just jump right here. Okay, so she kind of does one of these things where she kind of just falls in. Doesn't really even jump, right? So she's like, oh, do it again, Daddy. I'm like, okay. Then she's like, jump in. Do it again, Daddy. Okay. Okay, next 20 minutes, do it again, Daddy, right? Okay. Get pretty old real quick, all right? Okay. Next time we get in the pool, right? We're supposed to do all these exercises and songs. And she's just like kicking in my arms. And she gets to the side of the pool. She climbs up it. She stands. She's like... You know, wants to, that's all she wants to do now is jump in, right? But, but it's funny, um, I was uh, getting ready for the swim lessons, and they were in there before me, and the girls had already started, and Millie was sitting there, standing, waiting. And the thing that made me so happy is that she wouldn't dare jump in without me being there. Because her security... Her trust and faith was not in her ability to be able to swim in the water, but it was based that I was there to catch her. 
And the exact same way, when it comes to being a Christian, it is like standing on the top of a cliff that is going down to the very bottom edge of hell into total abyss and darkness, and it is jumping straight in and saying, Jesus, if you do not catch me, I will perish. There is nothing I can do. There is nothing that I can do to maybe make some rope system or, or try to build my own bridge. I am jumping in, hoping and trusting and knowing that you will save me. And so ultimately, the way we can receive this pardon, where we are no longer a curse, but we are granted eternal life and resurrection, is by trusting in Christ, is by having faith in him. And so the gospel is this, that God made everything beautiful, and that was good. But man rebelled, and because of that, deserved judgment. But God sent Christ, the God-man, who fulfilled all aspects of the law, who died on the cross to be a curse. And those who trust, those who have faith, those who believe in Jesus will receive eternal life, will receive the forgiveness. They can now have a right relationship with God. They are now transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. They were once enemies and hostile towards God, but they, they are now sons and daughters. You were once a citizen of the kingdom and the dominions of this world and of Satan, but now you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And all of this only can come when you take that 100 step of faith and saying, I am going to trust or have faith in what Jesus has done. And so can you understand why there's a, there's a broken heart in me when I ask people, how do you know that one day when you stand before God that you'll be made right with him? Well, I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. You know, I, I, I worship God. I, I spend time and I, I pray. I, I read my Bible. Well, I, I just think that God is going to kind of let those who really try. And, you know, I've always been someone who's been nice to other people. But, but, but do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I trust. I have faith. I believe in what I can do. That does not sound like I am going to sit there and jump in and the only way that I'm going to survive is if Christ catches me. You know, there's one of these songs we sing in youth group sometimes, Cornerstone. And the third verse is, you know, it's from the hymn, obviously, on Christ the Solid Rock of Stand, where it says, you know, that day, you know, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That song always gets me. It always gets me, because here's the thing. I know that the only way that I will ever be justified and can stand before God is by Christ's righteousness alone. And the reason why that gets me is because that is a very vulnerable spot to be. Because in essence, I am saying, nothing in me. Only Christ can make me. It's only, and so I, I'm, you know, they say don't put all your eggs in one basket, Right? 
But that's exactly what we're not saying in the Christian life. It's saying, put every single thing into what Christ has done. Don't think for a second that any of your piety, any of your religious homework, any of your coming to youth group will make you right with God. It is only by trusting in what Christ has done. And so the question is for you, what, what, what are you trusting in? What do you believe in? And don't, don't get me wrong, this isn't even the hard part of the message. That part's coming still. There is a sense, guys, that such a tendency for, for, for kids who come to youth group to still kind of say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I trust in him, but ultimately, I think that God kind of likes me a little bit more when I'm not doing X, Y, Z. Or if I come and do this a little bit more. It's a 100% jump in saying, only Christ. That is what faith is. It's saying, not, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. You know, wash me, Savior, or I die. That, that, that is the heart of someone who understands their sin, their problem, but sees the greatness of Christ's love and says, Jesus, if you do not wash me, I will perish. But again, unfortunately, when we say believe and trust, it only means what we've made it to mean. And so I'm going to read one more passage for you. And I just want to read a passage from Jesus. Okay. So this is Mark chapter 1. Okay. So interesting, Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Mark begins with good news. But Jesus here begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So I've just talked a lot about what does it mean to believe. It means to trust. It means to rely. It means to say, God, there is nothing that I can do that will ever make me more accepted in your sight is only because of Jesus and what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection. But on the same coin, but a different side, we get this word, repent. Repentance. And here ultimately is what repentance is. Repentance is saying, because I am trusting in Christ, I am now going to make my allegiance for him. It means that all of the sins and all the things that I've committed against him, I'm now going to turn from. Because I used to have allegiances to myself. I used to have allegiances to all the idols I bow down to. But because I'm now trusting in Christ to save me, nothing else, I am now going to make daily my allegiance to Jesus. Now, a lot of ways we, we describe this, this kind of problem as lordship salvation. Let me tell you. I mentioned this in my Sunday school class earlier. About 50 years ago, unfortunately, the American church boiled down Christianity to its common lowest denominator. Say a prayer and you're in. And what we want to get away from is easy believism, that all I have to do is kind of say a prayer and I'm a Christian. Jesus clearly says here, repent and believe. Turn, make your allegiance towards me. Follow me. Every single day, turn away from what you used to do. Because in essence, 
What people say when they don't really want to follow after Jesus is this. Jesus, I love you enough for you to cover my sins, but I don't love you enough to actually follow you and do what you command. And if there's an equally, you know, dangerous situation to be in, is to sit there and say, I believe in Jesus, but not actually care about following Jesus. You see, what happens when you actually trust Jesus, I mentioned earlier, you are transferred from your old way. You were dead, but you've made it alive. You were following the ways of the world, but now you follow Christ. And so the way we respond to the gospel is by trusting. But you see how sometimes, if, if I say repent, so maybe you were getting drunk every single day. I said, repent, follow Jesus, believe in gospel, believe in the gospel. You can maybe stop drinking and you can say, well, since I stopped drinking, that shows that I'm a Christian. But you see how that's the opposite of belief? We don't look to our evidence of our changed life as the way of how we are Christians, but ultimately we have to make sure that we understand that the, the, the result and the fruit of a changed life will be a life that is constantly repenting. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm the first person to tell you that I'm someone who sins every single day. Becoming a Christian does not mean that we will never sin again, that repentance has to be this once and deal. But, but let me just, I'll end by this, okay? Here's the confidence I will give you if you are truly trusting and believing in the gospel. Do you fight and hate your sin? Is there a sense in which you see that at times in your life you have made the wrong allegiances that instead of believing and trusting in Christ and repenting from all of your wicked ways, you have just given into sin? Ultimately, guys, listen. The way we respond to Jesus by saying, yes, Jesus, on my own, I can do nothing. I trust in your life and your death and your resurrection. Your resurrection. But may I never go back to the sins that you had to die for. May I never again continue just willfully into sin that you had to come down and be crucified for. And so, guys, Listen. Entrance to the kingdom of God is really a simple thing, but don't confuse that with it being easy. I, I am not prepared to tell you that if you just say some simple prayer that you're going to get in. Following Jesus means that you are turning, that instead of trusting in your ways, you're now trusting in Christ and following after him. But let me tell you why you should do this. Eternal life. Life with God, abundant life, the free, the freedom from living in the tyranny of sin, freedom from eternal conscious punishment. Come to Christ, trust in him. Don't ever look for a second to yourself. Look to him, turn to him, repent, live for Christ. Because this is why you were made. 
God desires every single one of you to know him in a meaningful and personal way. And if there's any two things I want you guys to think about tonight is one, is there ever a sense where you look at your performance and think that, yeah, I think God's impressed with this. And two, is your confession of trusting in Christ synced up with your life of repentance? The person who believes obeys. The person who obeys believes. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. You invented the story that although we are sinners, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Father, I just pray for these students' hearts right now. God, I pray for any of those, Lord, who who are trusting in their own merit, who are trusting in their own goodness, that they would repent, they would turn to Christ fully and embrace him as their Savior. Father, I pray that it would be by our faith alone that would give us confidence to know you. So, Father, I pray that as we go to small groups, Lord, I pray that you make us self-aware. Help us, Lord, to see that it is in this gospel message that you want us to stay, that it is for our good. And so, Lord, I pray for, again for just for these students, Lord, by your Spirit, give them hearts of faith to behold the wondrous mystery. I pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.